This is a reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like, a, like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, thank you, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of different ways you can talk about this text. And one of my favorites is talking about how you have the law and the prophets represented in Moses and Elijah. And when it's all over with, only Jesus is there. And I think there's a hermeneutic, there's an interpretation that is powerful in that. But I'm not going to talk about that. I want to talk about something else. And I want to look at the one part of this text where it says, as they were coming down the mountain. My homily is just called coming down or the come down. And I want to talk about the power of the come down and why we need the come down. And what's hurting in the church is the lack of the come down. In these texts that we read, you see mountains appear. Uh, Even Moses goes up to a mountain, but then the aim and the goal is not staying there, right? He has to bring what's on the mountain down to the people. So I have this book here, and I'm not going to read it to you, but I had to reference this book because of the quote that we decided to put in uh, the, the bulletin today. The reason why I wanted to read this book is because Dallas Willard, in the quote that we read, he talks about matter. So I had to bust out my physics book. This is my 30-second physics book. So when you have 30 seconds and you have to dive into physics, this is the good book for it. Matter is physical stuff, substance. It's, it's what the world is made out of. It's like atoms and compounds and protons and neutrons and electrons kind of forming together to make stuff. So you're made out of stuff. I'm made out of stuff. We're made out of matter. You know who else was made out of matter? Jesus was made out of matter. He was made out of stuff. And Dallas Willard says in our quote, I'm not going to read all of it, but there's one part that I really like. He said, the transfiguration of Jesus must be regarded as the highest revelation of the natural world, of the nature of matter. Then he goes on to say, matter Ordinary physical stuff is the place for the development and manifestation of the divine. It's the place for the development and manifestation of God. I want to put a pin in this thought, but just before I move on, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. That matter, material, this created order is the place for the divine to manifest. And we see this on the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you imagine being there? Jesus basically lights up 
I mean, we can only imagine in our minds what that had to be like. This amazing radiating thing that occurs with typical ordinary stuff. I want to switch subjects though real quickly because I have to form this argument that I'm about to make because it will be a little bit controversial. Maybe not, but I think it might be. We call ourselves convergent Christians. And the reason why we call ourselves convergent Christians is because we're a, a movement of people who embrace a this and approach to the faith. Instead of a reductionistic this or. In other words, you can only be sacramental or you can only be Pentecostal. You're either Pentecostal or sacramental. Convergent Christians say, no, you're this and. You can be Pentecostal and be sacramental. Convergence typically comes when folks dig deep into their own tradition until they tap into the river to quote Father Richard Rohr. You dig deep into your own tradition until you tap into the river that connects us all. A lot of people think that, I'll use myself as the example here, a lot of people think that converging Christians like myself, that we've gone left, left field, that we're off base, that we went either far left or far right. And that's not true. We don't go far left or far right. We go down. We go deeper. And that's what makes us convergent. Convergence acknowledges the legitimacy of the three historic streams of the church. Sacramental, evangelical, Pentecostal. We acknowledge that all three are legitimate when they're done well. <laughs> Sorry, I made myself laugh on that one. <laughs> when they're done well, they're legitimate. Um, and we, we acknowledge the legitimacy of this so that people don't have to make false choices. So they don't have to feel like they can, that they're either one or the other. But a part of this approach, now I'm going to start to get a little bit, there's going to be some tension here. A part of this approach to the faith is the practice of discerning how these traditions have both been faithful and unfaithful. How these traditions have been both good and bad. They're great when they're at their best. When they're not at their best, these traditions, if I said the word, for example, uh, Pentecostal televangelist, I think we could all imagine some unfaithful <laughs> takes on these traditions. So what we do as convergent Christians is we're honest and we say we recognize the good in these traditions, but we also are open and honest and we recognize the bad. So here's an idea. Uh, a bishop that I deeply love, I've been formed by his writings. I've never met him. Uh, our bishops have, but I've never personally met him. His name is Bishop Rowan Williams. And he writes this, and I, I want to share this with you. He says, we must be ready, willing, and able to speak for our tradition and to speak to it. And never trust, he says, never trust a theologian who doesn't do both. Speak for and speak to. Because if they're only speaking for their tradition, then they're not critical enough. They're not honest enough. If you paint your tradition, for example, I come from the Pentecostal church. And if I just painted that tradition as lovely and perfect and good and all good, I wouldn't be telling the truth. Can I get an amen? amen. But if I only critique it, he goes on to say, but if, if a theologian only critiques their tradition, then they're not committed to it. Right? If we're only critiquing our tradition, then we're just cynical. So I feel this way about all traditions. If someone said, what do you think of the Methodist church? I said, I would say, oh man, there's some good things in the Methodist church. I don't come from the Methodist church, but there would be good things. 
If someone asked me, what do you think about the Pentecostal movement? It's not a denomination. If someone said, what do you think about the Pentecostal movement? You know, Azusa Street and onward. I would say, oh, there's some beautiful things. There's some beautiful spiritual ideas. Some, I'm going to use this word. Don't take it the wrong way. There's a beautiful piety in that tradition. But I would also be honest with them and say, there's also some pitfalls <laughs> that we've seen come from it. So let me say something now that speaks for the Pentecostal tradition. The charismatic tradition, is, it's not the same. Charismatics are people who are, they look Pentecostal, but they're people who come from mainline streams, but they happen to be happy clappy. So you can be charismatic and be a Lutheran, you can be charismatic and be a Catholic, you can be charismatic and be Methodist, free church evangelical, but that's not classical Pentecostalism. I don't have time to unpack that. But you can be a charismatic Christian and be in any tradition. And I want to speak first for the Pentecostal slash charismatic way, this tradition. And hear my words carefully because I have to navigate these waters with discernment. At its best, it instills a hope and expectation. At its best, it instills a hope and expectation for being surprised by God. Jamie Smith would say that Pentecostal piety, he's reformed, but he, he speaks well to this. Jamie Smith would say that Pentecostal piety is really about being surprised by God, that God can break into something and surprise you. And we call that theologically, the language we use for that is crisis. Not in a bad way. Don't hear that word in a bad way, but crisis in a good way, like God is breaking in. I think at their best, Pentecostals expect this. They expect God to be transformative, that God is going to break in, that the Spirit is going to break in. And those of you who come from a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition or you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. So now I'm going to flip it. I've spoken for. <laughs> Let me now take a minute and speak to. At its worst, Pentecostalism is addicted to mountaintop experiences. And this is what we read about today. Glow and glory and smoke and cloud. The spirit breaks in. And notice what Peter wants to do. He wants to camp out there. He wants to build things around that. He wants to create a normative based upon the breakthrough experience. And Jesus says no. He says Follow me down the mountain. You followed me up, now follow me down. We can't live here. We can't stay here. It's good that it happens. No one's denying that. When it happens, we're open to it. But you got to follow me down. And I'm going to talk about why that's important. Is this okay so far? You guys rolling with me so far? I think that you, I'm seeing a lot of people nod. Like you, I think this idea can set some people free. Myself, I'm preaching to myself. My healing is coming to me in this preaching. And I hope it comes to you too. When we are addicted to mountaintop experiences, then we won't know how to live into ordinary life. We won't know how to live into the everyday stuff. Real life and the reality of real life as practitioners will seem a little bit off because all we want is to live on the mountain. 
We can become infatuated with the breaking in of the Spirit at cost, at the cost of ignoring the brooding of the Spirit. Think about Genesis here. The Spirit does move throughout Scripture. We're not denying that. And there, there are moments of crisis, moments of breaking in that the Spirit does. The day of Pentecost is a good example. But the main work of the Spirit is what we say in the Creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. That's what the Spirit is for. It's not just for the breaking in, but it's for the brooding. Like in Genesis, where the Spirit, she broods over the waters. And then the pneuma in the New Testament, where the Spirit comes, but the Spirit doesn't come just so that they can have a wild, crazy time. The Spirit comes to form the church, right? And we see the church being formed after that. So we can't be addicted to the breaking in of the Spirit at cost of ignoring the brooding of the Spirit. We can't ignore that. So at its best, Pentecostalism has an openness to crisis, meaning an openness to the breaking in of the Spirit. High spiritual moments, we're open to that, and that's good. These watershed moments, these mountaintop experiences. But this addiction to these high mountaintop experiences, when we try to normalize them, can be hurtful. And those of you who have spent a minute in a Pentecostal or charismatic evangelical church, or you've seen it on YouTube or online or on television, you're going to understand what I'm about to say. When we try to normalize the mountaintop, when we try to build shelters like Peter on the mountaintop, we will have the strong desire to camp there. The last Pentecostal conference I spoke at was years ago. And it was about, um, we want your glory. I think that was, the, it was called something like, we want your glory again. And, and it was a bunch of predominantly white men meeting in a room, wanting to re-experience the Pentecostalism that they knew 30, 40 years ago. And they asked me to preach. That was their first mistake. <laughs> they asked me to share. And my, my sermon was called, the glory of the ordinary, and how what we really should desire is not mountaintop experiences, but to find God in the ordinary, everyday experiences of life. It was received okay, but I didn't tell them what they wanted to hear, I think. Because here's my thing, and this is what I've been trying to say. When we build tents, and when we want to camp out on the mountaintop, we won't know how to live into the ordinary, everyday experiences of life. We won't know how to follow Jesus back down the mountain. And this is, here are the words of Dr. Chris Green. He says this, if we normalize crisis, and I've already explained what that word means, if we normalize mountaintop breakthroughs, if we normalize crisis in an unhealthy way, listen to this, then we will start to fabricate crisis. We will start to fabricate it, looking for it to happen, we start to prepare for crisis experiences, and that can lead to trying to generate them in ways that are unfaithful. Let me give you an example. I, I, I know a church. I won't say which church this is. But they pay people anywhere between $15 to $25 at the beginning of service to come down to the front and act excited. And the reason why they do this is because they feel this pressure to regenerate the mountaintop experience. They feel this pressure to fabricate the mountaintop. 
I have to hide names here, but a friend of mine uh, was at another church. This is years ago. And she was asked if she would audition to sing for the praise and worship team. And she thought nothing of it. She said, sure, I have a, she has a great voice. And she thought, I can audition for this praise and worship team. So she goes to this audition. And the first thing, one of the things, I don't know if it was first, but they hear her sing, they like her voice, and then immediately they go to this. Now speak in tongues for us. <laughs> right here on the spot, speak in tongues. And the reason why they wanted her to do that is because of what we're talking about. This need to recreate and fabricate and manufacture the mountaintop. We wanna make sure that if you're on this stage doing this thing, that you can start a fire that makes people excited. Hear the words of Dr. Chris Green. If we normalize crisis, if we try to fabricate it, then we will be unfaithful. I do think that God wants to break through. I think there's gonna be moments in our services where we're gonna hear the Spirit and say, hey, let's pause here for a second, or let's pray in this way in this, at this time. But the minute we start to fabricate it, and I'm, I'm, I'm critiquing the charismatic Pentecostal, but this is really a critique for any branch of the church, sacramental, evangelical Pentecostal. The minute we start to fabricate things, we're in trouble. We are in trouble. I love Pentecostals, but we have to be careful that we don't try to induce the spirit in our worship that will then become fake and generated and phony. And as soon as you become fake and generated and phony, you know what follows that? Faulty. Then it gets weird and it gets really messed up. It might look cool. It might sound great. It might wow and entertain people. But hear these words. It will not transform them. It will not transform them. This next sentence I'm going to say, I wrote this and I'm going to read it how I wrote it because I don't want to be taken wrong, out of context. I love Pentecostals. Contrary to what's been said, I am a Pentecostal. But if Pentecostals and Charismatics continue to chase the mountaintop and build shelters, trying every week to reclimb the mountain through programming and technocracy, through sequencing and salaries, through lights, camera, and action, and smoke and mirrors, we will become like Moses, faking a glory that faded a long time ago. Dr. Cheryl Bridges John, she's one of my favorite theologians, she said, we have so standardized crisis, mountaintops, we have so standardized crisis that we don't know what to do with taking Pentecosts and living into ordinary time. And she says this is why liturgy becomes so important. She's Pentecostal, but she's, I think she calls herself a sacramental outlaw, liturgical outlaw. We have to ask the question, when, we're, when we experience the Spirit, this breakthrough, this change, then we have to say, how does this change the way I live tomorrow? How does this change the way I go to work tomorrow? How do I live into this? She says, crisis is where the Spirit does her best work in the sense of breaking things open. She, she's actually for the breaking open moments. 
But there's a lot of brooding that the Spirit does over us before the breaking open and after the breaking open. She says, and I hope our tradition can learn how to be in tandem with the brooding of the Spirit and let that work back into our real life. I'm going to make my way out here. Let me just give you two things that will happen if we don't do this. (laughs) If we don't follow Jesus down the mountain, if we become mountaintop Christians, if we want to build tabernacles like Peter, Peter actually said it. He, He said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But I love the Gospel of Luke because Luke says, he says in his text, he says, Peter didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> like Luke is the first one to always bring you down to reality. Um, but it doesn't say that in Matthew's gospel. But here's what will happen. This is a warning. This is going to happen. And, and if you're like me, you can probably see it happening around you in the church culture. If we want to build tabernacles like Peter, if we want to hang out on the mountaintop, number one, the bad news is we will be episodic. We're going we're to have such an irregular spirituality. We're going to move from highs to lows, the highs to lows. Or, you know what? It won't even be highs to lows. It'll just be like, like, excuse my language here, it'll be like a drug addict. High, crash, high, crash. If we just seek mountaintop experiences, we're going to be episodic. We're going to be irregular. Uh, We will be event-based Christians and not daily life Christians. Yo, I actually think this is happening in all churches, event-based Christianity. We live for the weekend, and then we crash. And then they come back on Sunday, and then they, they get high again, and then they crash. In that sense, Marx was right. Religion is the opiate of the people, straight up. If that's the kind of religion we have, that's bad religion. Number two, the second thing that will happen if we are mountaintop Christians is we will become what they call revival junkies. Revival junkies. Always needing more and more hype. We will develop an unsustainable romance with novelty. I want to read you this quote by Michael Horton, who wrote this book called Sustainable Faith in a Radical Restless World. And listen to the power of his words here. He's telling the truth. And this is a critique over American Christianity. He wrote this. American Christianity is a story of perpetual upheavals in churches and individual lives. Starting with the extraordinary conversion experience, our lives are motivated by a constant expectation for the next big thing. Unfortunately, we're growing bored with the ordinary means of God's grace. Attending church week in and week out, we're growing bored with that. Disciplines that have shaped faithful Christian witness in the past are often marginalized or substituted with newer fashions or methods. The new and improved may dazzle us for a moment, but soon they have become so last year. And this is the type of culture that I came from. The the culture of, oh, we can't sing that song, that's three years old. (laughs) The culture of, did you see the new lighting system that just came out? The culture of... Let's get a new smoke machine or haze machine and mirrors and and how how can we make the screen bigger and how can... The new and improved may dazzle us for a moment, but soon they have become so last year. I did a good job at creating tension. I'm not sure I resolved that tension. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll resolve it right now. What's, What's the fix for this? 
I mean, it's happening in every church. It's not just the charismatic Pentecostal church. They're all trying to figure out, how do we reach millennials? How, you know, the nuns and duns, how, what do we do? Is it getting a cool band? Do, do we need to pay a sweet guitar player who can do a third, third verse solo? What do we do? My solution, this is what I'm offering. I might be wrong about this, but this is what I feel. So what do we do with this? My answer today is we come down. We follow Jesus down the mountain. Because the same God of the mountain is the God of the valley. We follow him down. I love the fact that Jesus does not let us stay there and that he calls us down. So Dallas Willard, going back to what he said, and I'm going to close it with him, he said that matter, ordinary physical stuff, you need to start to follow God into the ordinary days that you live, the ordinary life that you live, your work life, your home life, your everyday life, because matter, to quote Willard, the ordinary physical stuff is the place for the manifestation of the divine. All right. And this is one of the reasons why we're sacramental, because the sacraments make normative the coming of God's kingdom in physical stuff like bread and wine. This is the last thing I'm going to say to you. This is a quote. We look for God in the fresh and novel as if his grace were always an event. When he has promised that his spirit faithfully attends the ordinary means of grace in the word and at the table. We keep looking for God in the new, the mountaintop, as if grace were always bound up with the next big thing. But Jesus encouraged us to look for God in a simple, regular meal, bread and wine. So we follow Jesus down the mountain because God meets us where we are in the ordinary. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.